Amen. I know many of you have flown across the pond into other parts of the world, but this is our first time flying over there. We've flown to Mexico a number of times, and we'll be going there actually this fall. Our last remaining single son is getting married in October. Yeah. <laughs> we were wondering if it was ever going to happen. Uh, he's marrying uh, this beautiful uh, girl from Bolivia. Um, her mother's first question when she found out she'd met him is, does he go to church? So I knew right away that was a good sign. She says, he's a pastor. It's like, oh, okay. So, um, so he's, they're getting married in Mexico, and I'm performing the ceremony. And uh, that's in the middle of October, so we'll be going down there. And that allows her entire huge family to come uh, and be part of it without having to come all the way up here. So it's, uh, it's, it, um, that's what we'll be in, in, in October. So I don't know why I got into all that. So. Oh, I know, jet lag. <laughs> I've never experienced it before. Uh, and uh, so if I seem a little, even, even still a little off kilter, um, that I'll excuse it to that. So I don't know how long I can use that excuse. Um, so... Praise God. We better pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your goodness. Father, we just will never come to the end of our knowledge of how good you've been to us and how much you love us. But we thank you that you've given us the Holy Spirit to live and to dwell within us. And one of his purposes, one of his functions is to reveal to us all that you have prepared for those who love you. And so we ask you today, Father, to open the eyes of our understanding, that we would see the hope of your calling for our life that's in Christ Jesus. We thank you, Father, for the word of God that you've given to us, and we want to never get away from the word. We thank you, Father, that that is how you've chosen to reveal who you are and what you've done. And we thank you for the precious Holy Spirit. And today we entrust ourselves into His hands to take the living Word and to breathe it into our hearts, not just our minds, but our hearts, that we would be able to see what You want us to see, hear what You want us to hear, and for our hearts to grasp what You want us to grasp. And for that we give You thanks in advance in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. One of the reasons that I look forward to getting away is not just not to get away so much is I find that God often speaks to me and shows me things when, and this is not part of the, the message uh, that I know of, uh, when we get away. And, uh, and that's, that's one of the values of these youth troop trips is they get away, they get out of their normal routine, they get out of the issues of their life that they've been wrestling with and they get together with other teens and it gives God the opportunity to show them things. And usually I am able to have God show me something. This time I had the most amazing experience, and I don't know how to even begin to describe it. I'm not going to try. Um, I had an experience of the cross like I've never had before, of what Jesus did for me on the cross. And what it made me realize is how little of what he's done for us we really know. I mean, we know it intellectually. I've taught it for 30-some years. But the reality of His love for us and what He did for us by going to that cross. And I'm believing God to give all of us some kind of revelation of that because it will change you. It will change you forever. 
It becomes your why of living. It becomes, it takes fear away. It drives everything away because when you can see how much God loves you. And the verse I've been meditating on for a while is in Romans 5 where Paul says, God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, for the ungodly. That's you and me. And I've known that fact, taught that fact, understood that fact, but it's got to become more than a fact. It's got to become a living reality in our heart to see in our hearts what God has done for us. Amen. Well, that's sermon number one. That's just sharing out of my heart this morning. We're in a series where, and it become very clear to me why this is so important. Now, there are many reasons why this is important. The general series is follow me. And it comes from looking at what Jesus said to his disciples, what he called them to do. There are many distractions out of there in the world today, in the church, to pull us apart. And, I, and my heart breaks because I see so many people distracted. And this week, this was really driven home to me. Because coming back, we became aware of some things that have gone on. And I discovered that over the last few weeks, there have been several well-known Christian leaders that have renounced their faith. One of them was a songwriter for uh, a major ministry. Many songs we've sing were written by this songwriter. Heart, songs coming out of his heart for Jesus and how much he loved Jesus. And publicly announced he's just walking away from his faith because it really doesn't mean anything. And then there's an author, a well-known Christian author that wrote a tremendous book on dating uh, and, 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 and has walked away from his faith. And these are very public figures. And it grieved my heart and I began to wonder why. Why? How can somebody do that? Well, the first thing that awakens in me is it can happen. We can never become complacent in our faith. Never become complacent in our faith. I was thinking about this morning, and I, just a little bit yesterday as I was uh, finishing up my preparation. A year, about a year ago, we, had a, we did a production here based on the story Pilgrim's Progress. And that's an amazing story. If you've never read it, you need to read it. It's, it's one of the most, aside from the Bible, it's one of the most popular, best-selling books ever written and one of the most important. The interesting thing about it is when, when, when the pilgrim comes to the place where the burden of his sin is taken off of his back, the story's not over. You'd think, well, he got saved, the burden's gone, end of story, amen, thank you, Lord. But it's about halfway through. And what I began to realize as I was reading the story is after he's met the cross and the burden of his sin has been taken off of his back and he's now free, there were still many dangers, toils, and snares between that time and when he went home to be with the Lord. And they're all come to design to pull us off track. And one of the concerns I have today is because of the message of grace and how strong it is, and it's a valid message, that we think now that I'm saved, now that I'm in Christ, I can just rest and relax. And you can't. And when I read stories about men like these that have publicly renounced their faith, and you go, how can that happen? I mean, I, you know, we went through the 80s, and it's have not, unfortunately never stopped, when you have public men, pastors and public men who have fallen morally. But I can kind of understand that. They just didn't protect themselves. They didn't do the things. But this is to walk away from Christ, 
to walk away from that, knowing what that means, how can they do that? Well, I want to read to you a quote, part of a quote of one, one of these posted. And, and this is where he came to. This is the songwriter. All that I know, all that I know is what is true to me right now. That's a whole message in itself right there of why that's wrong. But that's what we're being taught, is what I know is what is truth. All that I know is what, is what is true to me right now. And Christianity just seems to me like another religion at this point. And what he's recited before is things that he had seen that had discouraged him. Things that he'd seen like people not seeing the miracles that, that, he, that the Bible talks about. Not seeing certain... Not, and everything was what he didn't experience. Everything is what he didn't see. Nowhere did he mention what the Bible said. So he's gotten away from, and this is the concern for the world today, and the church, and especially our younger generations, is they're not being taught to find, base their life on God's Word. God's Word is what He has given us. The Creator of the universe has given us a manual, a word from Him by which, on which we are to our base our lives. And when we begin to base our lives on anything other than God's Word, even though they're good, sound principles, even though they may be principles based on God's Word, once you get off that Word, you get off track. And the longer you're off track, the further off you can get. They teach pilots in navigation. If you get as far as one degree off of your course, when you're flying, and especially a jet plane, it doesn't take long. In fact, there's formulas for how far off you'll get and how much time based on how fast you're going. And you'll find yourself way off course. And that's what's happened. But I believe the reason this is important for us to talk about today, because I could talk about why and break that down, and I may at some other point, is it brings me right back to why we're talking about what we're talking about right now. Maybe this is my simplistic mind. But I believe this. I believe that if God loves us, and He does, and God knows how ignorant we are, and how stupid we are, and how proud we are and how lazy we are. God knows us better than we know ourselves. God knows how, what to give us so that we'll make it. If we'll just listen and receive it. And so He's given us His Word. But I look back and see, what did Jesus do for His disciples? I'm part of a pastor's fellowship group, and this was something that was a subject of discussion this week, which was how I found out about it. And what I kept coming back to is, I watched Jesus' ministry and His working with His disciples, because all of it was to prepare them for when He was going to leave them and leave this amazing work in their hands. They're, they're, they're incapable, weak, frustrating hands, he was going to leave them in, this in their hands. And so he was preparing them. So I look back, okay, what did he say to them? How did he prepare them? And this brings us back to the simplicity of the very first thing we started talking about. All Jesus told them to do, it was so simple. He says, come, follow me. So how do we get off track when well, we stop simply following Jesus? We can start following doctrines. We can start following teachings. We can fo- start following teachers. 
we can start following anything else that's good, but if it's not based on following Jesus, you will end up somewhere down the line off track. And when I taught those very first messages on this series and brought Danny up and had him follow me, I talked about how, how simple this is, but how profound it is and how difficult it is. It's difficult because it seems too simple. There must be something more involved than following him. But that's what he said. He said, you, come, follow me. So somewhere along the line, these men either were not or stopped simply following him because he never would have led them to that place. See, if you follow him, he'll get you to where you need to go because he's going there. And if you follow him, it it was so simple. One of the trips we went was to York, way up north. I had no idea how to get to York. But all I knew is if I get in the train that's going to York, I'll get to York because that train knows how to get to York and has the power to get there. I don't have the strength or the wisdom to finish my course, but I know the one who will get me there. If I get in the train and I simply follow him, he will get me there. So if you understand, it was interesting because one of the things I read before I went over there is London is filled with pickpockets. And they told us, in fact, there were some places where they warn you, there are pickpockets around you right now. Right outside of Buckingham Palace, they would announce it. They're pickpockets. So what did I do? At first I bought one of those money pouches. But... So I just put my credit cards here and my cash here, and I walked around like this. If they're going to pick my pocket, they've got to get it out of my hands. Now, I did that because, first of all, I was forewarned. Secondly, I listened to the warning. It'd be very easy to say, well, I've traveled around and I've kept my wallet back here and I've never lost my wallet. But we met people over there that actually from northern Rhode Island, northern uh, um, uh, Connecticut, and she had had her purse picked. And so it can happen. So if you think you can just coast along and get to the end with joy and victory, you're deceived. You have to be aware and be forewarned. Not afraid. I wasn't afraid. I was forewarned. And then I have to understand, what are they after? They're after my wallet or my credit cards. So if somebody bumps into me, I'm not going to be distracted by the bump. I know that they're what they're after. So we're going to look today. Satan's after something. But if you're forewarned and you do what God's instructions are, You'll come through and we came back. I didn't come back with all the money we left with. That was gone. But we came back with my credit cards. I came back with everything that was in my pockets. <laughs> came back intact. So that's why I wanted to spend the time about that. Because it fits right in with what we're doing. What we're called to do. Now I'm going to spend a little time this morning reviewing a little bit. Because it's been several weeks. And I'm going to go through this a little slowly. Because what we're going to begin to talk about today is, is, is took me a while to really grasp And so I want to make sure you grasp it. And I hesitated to get into it because it it, it can be a little meaty to do, but it's worth it. So we'll go through it, and and I'm trusting God that He will help us do this. So Matthew 16, uh, we're looking at, in the beginning, we looked at, Jesus simply said, come 
follow me. Didn't tell them what it involved, didn't tell them what it was going to cost, didn't tell them where they were going. He wanted them to simply learn the first lesson is all you're doing is following me. Not following a doctrine, not following an institution, not following some movement. You are following a personal relationship with me. See, you can't get off track if you have a personal relationship with Jesus and you maintain it. I should have gotten more than that. Matthew 16, verse 24. We talked about this. But then down the line, Jesus began to explain to them what this was now going to involve. Verse 24. Matthew 16, not 15. And Jesus said to His disciples, If anyone desires to come after Me, so that's follow Me, here's what you've got to do. Let him... There's three things. Deny himself... Number two, take up his cross. And number three, follow me. Notice the follow me comes after denying yourself and taking up your cross. Many people want to follow him, but they don't want to go through the first two. So it's important to spend time going through what do these mean? Because I've got to tell you, for years when I would read Deny Myself, I didn't like that. That's, right. <laughs> that's, a, that's repulsive. To my, not just my flesh, my mind and everything I am. It, it, it's, it's repulsive to our human nature to deny ourselves when we're spending our time trying to build ourselves up, develop self-confidence, develop self-esteem, develop self-awareness, develop all these self-things. And there's, there's a need to do that in a certain context, but, but we're, you know, we're living in, in, in the cradle of independence, this is where independence movement back in the colonies came from this area. And so this is, there's a spirit of independent New Englanders. You don't tell them what to do, right? I could tell by your lack of reaction you don't want to be told what to do. <laughs> but I began to study this and I began to books that God brought across my path. And as I began to read some of the things that I'm going to share with you, and I had the same reaction to them, but I didn't quit. I knew there was truth in there. My spirit was drawing me. And then it would begin to break through, and I could understand this. And it's begun to change my life, because I didn't understand what he meant by deny myself. And we talked about this several weeks ago, so I'm just going to quickly go through uh, the, some of the points I made, and then we're going to build on it. First of all, our reaction is negative, but then when we realize that the one who's telling us this loves us infinitely more than we'll ever love ourselves. The one who's telling us this is preparing to die a horrible death in our place so that we don't have to die and be separated from God. The one that sent him, the Father, loves you so much, he created you, and he wants, to do to, he wants you to go through this so you can have an intimate relationship with him that will satisfy you in levels nothing in this world that this world can provide will ever begin to satisfy you. So the one, that, so the one that's telling me to do this has my best interest at heart. Well, that changes everything. He's not trying to punish me. He's not trying to harm me. He's not angry at me. He loves me and there's something that I need to do that's standing in my way of knowing Him at a level that's going to change my life and bless my life. Then we looked at what does it not mean? What does Jesus not mean by deny yourself? Well, He he doesn't mean to stop existing. That you just, you don't exist. You give up your name, you give up everything else and you just don't exist anymore. In some ways, that's easier. It doesn't mean a false denial, which is a pride. Well, I'm nothing, I'm nobody, 
actually there's pride at the root of all that. And the basis of most, almost all uh, Far Eastern and Middle Eastern asceticism, the mystics, is some form of denying yourself in the sense of, I don't exist, I don't have any desires that exist, I, don't, I deny all my desires, I deny all, all the things that are about me. And that's not what Jesus is talking about at all. That's not what he's talking about at all. It's not a surrender. You can surrender and not deny yourself. And it's not an act that you do. Well, I did this two weeks ago, or I did this three years ago. It's a mindset. It's a way you see yourself. It's a way you see Jesus. It's the way you see others, and it's the way you see the world around you. And that's what we're going to begin to develop. And we started by going back to understand exactly what God did for you when you came to Christ. Now, what God did for you, He did for you over 2,000 years ago when Jesus died. But when you came to know Christ and you were brought into the kingdom of God through Christ, something happened to you, whether you... I didn't know it. Most of us didn't understand it. And that's a, a, interesting. That means you don't have to understand it for it to happen. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> God did for you what you didn't even ask Him to do, what you don't even understand He did, and God still wants to work in you to do things you don't understand, that you haven't asked for, that He wants to do. One of the verses that's been rolling around in me for the last year is in Philippians chapter 1, for as God is at work in you, or two I guess it is, for it is God is at work in you, for it is God who's at work in you, for it is God who's at work in you. Are you even getting it? God's at work in you. Amen. Well, what can He do? Everything. Everything. Yeah. You're not that tough a case. God's at work in you. He's had tougher cases than you. I'm one of them. God's at work in you, both to will, to work on your will. Lafayette Skill said one time when he was here, he said, God can't change your will, but He should sure bring a lot of pressure to bear on it. He can sure work on it. God's at work in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. So God is at work in us. So, so God did something to you, things to you you didn't understand, and we're still beginning to understand what God did. But we're going to go back and take a look at what those, because the foundation of denying yourself is in understanding what God did for you. Okay. So we began to look at this. We went and looked in um, Ephesians chapter 2. We looked at some other things. I'm going to summarize some of this. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4. But God who is rich in mercy, and there's so much we could talk about here, because of His great love with which He loved us, verse 5, even when you were dead in, in trespasses or sins, He made us alive together with... Christ. He didn't just make you alive independent of Christ. He made you alive together with Him. He joined you to Christ. By grace you have been saved. Verse 6. And He raised us up together and made us sit together. That's a message we'll get to later on. In heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And I did for you several weeks ago this example I did where I stood up here and I said my, I, my image that I used to have when I got saved is you've got in heaven God the Father, God the Son, 
and you may have Paul sitting here and maybe Peter sitting here and they're all sitting together with him and somewhere way over there is this John. And then one day I'm reading this and it got through to me. That's not what it says at all. It doesn't say I'm up there with him. It says I am in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So you've got God the Father, you've got God the Son, and in God the Son, sitting next to the Father, is you and me who are in Christ. That's so important, so foundational. Other scriptures we talked about, 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. What makes you a new creation is the one you're in. In Christ you're a new creation. See, we've had this image that when we came to God, came to Christ, God did some magic thing over us, and then He just He left us where we were. He may be changing us, but we have a, we're separate from Him. And so we, we look up and hope God's going to hear us. We cry out and hope God hears us. When we come to God, we're coming so much aware of ourselves, our weaknesses, our frailties. You know that because if you come to God to talk to Him in the morning and you have great confidence because you were so faithful yesterday, your confidence is in how faithful you were. But what about tomorrow when you weren't so faithful today? And you get up tomorrow and you, the times... This breakthrough I had, this revelation of the cross I had, came because I got up in the morning so discouraged about how I'd been acting the few days before. Oh, don't look at me like that. You've done the same thing. But instead of running away and saying, oh, I can't pray this morning, I'm too busy, I said, no, I'm in Christ. So no matter what I'm like in Christ, I can come before the Father with the same confidence He can come before. And that made me realize how merciful He is, what He did for me on the cross. It's not based on what I'm like at all. It's based on who I, whom I am in. 2 Corinthians 5.21 he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. God's own righteousness. Not just cleaned you up, made you better, made you a better version of who you are. He made you as righteous as He is. If you're not, you're not getting into heaven. God doesn't have different classes of righteousness in heaven where you've got absolutely holy where He is and then there's a lower rung where pretty holy... And then another run where, well, not so holy. And then there's an unholy bunch at the bottom. No, if you're not as holy as He is, you don't get in. Because unholiness, even the slightest amount, cannot survive in the presence of pure, absolute holiness. It dies. So what chance do we have? Because the one we're in is as holy as His Father. That we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We forget those little words. Well, I've been made right. No, you're only righteous because you're in the righteous one. You have no righteousness of your own outside of Him. So you step outside of Him, there's no, you're just who you used to be. Step in Him, you're still just who you used to be. But now you're in a righteous one. That becomes important for us to see. uh, 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 Colossians 2, verse 9. 
For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Verse 10. The next verse. I'll tell you what it says. It says we are complete in him. We are complete in him. So when you come in him before the Father, you're not lacking anything. See, we're all aware of our shortcomings. I'm aware of mine, you're aware of yours. We're all aware of our shortcomings. Our spouse is aware of our shortcomings. God's aware of your shortcomings. But when you come to Him in Christ, in Him you're complete. What you lack, He fills out. You're complete, but only in Him. You get out of Him, you're not complete anymore. You stand on your own. John 17, one of the last things Jesus did is He prayed for His disciples. He prayed first of all for Himself, then He prayed for those 12 or the 11 that were left. And then starting in verse 20, He prays for us. And He prays to the Father that we might... We'll see this later on. We're going to read it together later on. But He prays that just as He is one with the Father and the Father is one, just as He's in the Father and the Father is in Him, that those who believed on the disciples' names, that's John, Matthew, that's us. We believed on the writings of the disciples. He then starts in verse 20 and prays for us that we might be one with Him, in Him. So we're in Him, that was His prayer, and He's in the Father, so we're in Him and He's in the Father, so we're in each other. And that's a little hard for our minds, but it's so important to grasp. Okay, so we're not, this is so important, we're not just with Him, we're in Him. See, we're so used to talking in church about, I don't feel the Lord, the Lord's with me. No, you're in Him. Yeah, I w- we were with the train, all right, but we're with the train because when the, if we were just with the train on the platform, when the train left the station, we're still on the platform. Right. Ooh, this is good. Yeah. But because we got in the train, we're still with it, but we're now in it. So when the train leaves and heads to York, not only are we with the train, we're with it wherever it goes because we're in it. So it's important for you to understand Jesus is not just with you and you're not just with Him. You are in Him. So whatever challenges you're facing in your life today, you're not trying to get Him to be with you in it. He has to be with you in it because you're in Him and He's in you. You can't go anywhere without Him. That's why he said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Just like every place I went on this entire trip, I took my feet. I took my hands. I didn't forget them once. Other times I forget forget my phone sometimes. My mother used to say, I forget my head. Oh, whoa. She said, I'd even forget my head if it were not... Oh, thank you, Mom. Attached to me. When you realized you're in Him, you'll see how faithful He is to you. It will also change how you see yourself. Because wherever you go, you take Him. 
And there may be some places you've gone. We'll leave it there. Now, that, that's all a foundation for what we're talking about. But it's so important. Because we are in Him, now this is, I'm going to say it, and then we're going to spend time unwrapping this, and we'll take a little while. Because we are in Him, I can't be out of Him and in Him. Okay? I, I can't be at home and here in church at the same time. I'm one or the other. All right? You're not at home anymore. This isn't that deep, because you're here. I can tell you're not at home, because I can see you here. Now, there's some others that aren't here. I don't know whether they're home or not, but I know you're not at home because you're here, because you can't be in two places at the same time. Now, listen carefully. That's so important. Because you can't be in Him and separate from Him at the same time. So if I'm in Him, that means because I'm in Him, my relationship with everything else, the world around me, every person, every issue, even God the Father, my relationship with every person, everything is only through Him. Because I'm in Him. In order to have my own direct, personal, private relationship with Denny, I have to step outside of Him so that I can now have my own personal relationship with Him. I know it's going to take a while for that to sink in. Why? Because we're so used to seeing ourselves separate. But if I'm in Christ and I'm one with Him, my relationship with Denny can only be through Christ. When I first read that somewhere, my mind went, like, kind of like yours just did. I don't know that I like that. I don't agree with that. And then the Spirit of God began to bring truth into me. This is why Jesus talks about I must be first. I must be first above every other relationship. Because my immediate reaction was I felt if that's true, then I mean that's true in my relationship with my wife. How can be that? Because we're one. How can that be that my relationship with Jesus, with my wife, is only through Jesus? I felt I'm going to lose something there. And how can I lose something if Jesus and I have a relationship with her? If I'm in Him, well, we had, while we were on this train, we went, we stopped at various train uh, platforms. We passed other trains. So we had some kind of relationship with them in the sense that we could see them, we could see what they were like. But every relationship we had with the trains and with the platforms was only through the train because we're in the train. We're going to spend time with this because it's changed my life. It's changing my relationships but far for the better. Yes. Amen. Amen. And we'll see... Oh, boy, Lord. I, I gotta help me unpack this, okay? So I just, I'm going I'm to put the proposition out there, and as we walk through it, I'm trusting the Holy Spirit will show this to you. Okay. So to do this, let's go to John 15, because Jesus was teaching His disciples the same principle. That's why I know I'm on good ground.
Oops. John 15. Verse 1. We're going to down through verse 8. I am the true vine. My Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away or lifts up. Every branch that bears fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Here's what I want to get through. Abide in me. And I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me or apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and withered, and is withered, and is gathered to them and thrown them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you will wish and desire, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you may bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Jesus is teaching his disciples this same principle. He said, you have entered into a relationship with me by which we become one. You are in me, and I am in you. And the example he used to get this visually across to them was a vine. Now, a vine in the Middle East is not like the vine that tries to grow up the side of my house. So we're going to switch from vine to tree because that's something we can understand it more clearly because their vines are big around. So we'll use tree and branch, all right? So Jesus said, I want you to understand what, our, what it means to be one with me. For it means for you to be in me and me to be in you. So we're going to use a tree as an example. And so you've got this tree, and my father's the one that plants the tree. He's the one that harvests the fruit. But the trunk of the tree is me. Jesus saying. And you're the branches. So your job, you've been placed as connected with are part of the tree. Now let me ask you a question. Is the branch any less a part of the tree than the trunk is? They're all part of the tree. And I was meditating on this one day and I realized, you know what? We don't have names for the branches. As I'm walking Molly through the neighborhood, I, I got this little app that tells me what these trees are. I don't think, I wonder what kind of, wonder what kind of branch that is. And yet I'm looking at the branch. I'm looking at the branch and I wonder what kind of branch that is. The branches don't have any names. They've got the same name that the tree has. Because their identity comes from the tree. You cut that branch off and let it sit there for a while, it has no identity at all. And it can do nothing at all. But that branch has no independent identity at all. Its entire identity comes from the tree that it's one with. So I say that's a maple tree and it includes the branches and the trunk together because they are one. 
The branch on its own can produce nothing. The only way that branch produces is because it is part, one with, a tree system that produces fruit or leaves. On the other hand, the trunk can't produce anything either if the branches are separated from it because the trunk doesn't have the ability to produce the fruit. It needs the branches to produce the fruit through. The branches have no independent relationship with each other. What they have in common is the tree that they're part of. I'm telling you, this is so powerful, so important, because we've got the wrong mindset in church. And God's unfolding this for me, and as it's unfolding it, and I'm discovering this is nothing new at all. Obviously it's not. But other writers I'm discovering have written the same things. It's like, God, this is what you're saying to us. You've got to bring your church together in unity. And we know that. But what stands between us is our own independent individuality. We don't want to give it up. You gave it up. (laughs) We gave it up when we... You can't... Be an individual and be in Christ. I, you don't, I'll have to explain that. You still have your personality, you still, but you can't have your own. I'll walk this out with you. That's better. So the branches, only relationship they have with each other is because they're connected and one with that same tree. And I suggest to you, the only true relationship we have with one another is in Christ. And we'll find as we explore this, it gets rid of all the things, the obstacles that stand in our way. I mean, this church is, to a degree, evidence of that. Because this is still an unusual church, unfortunately. Because this church, I get to stand in front of you every Sunday and see the mix that God has brought together of different races, different nationalities, different ages. This is almost rare in the United States. We take it for granted. But I've even talked to Lafayette who has a multiracial, multinational church. He says, yeah, but not like here. Not like here. I've been there. Not like here. We have a wonderful mix here. But what really binds us together is the one we're one with. I remember when I was, yeah, I remember when I was first saved, I was a lawyer in the large firm in Boston. And I didn't know anybody else was saved. That, That was back before, it was very tough to be a Christian in Boston in those days. It was very, there was not a lot of them. And, and I'm, discovered one day that one of our young secretaries was a Christian. Now, I'm a senior level associate. She's a young, new secretary. And in law firms, large law firms, there's pecking orders. And so I met with her once. We had coffee in the lunchroom or something, just began to talk to her. And I noticed I felt a connection to her that I didn't feel with anybody else. It had nothing to do with who she was. It was Christ in her 
was the same Christ that was in me. And I remember when I'd first meet Christians, and I'd wonder, why do I feel closer to this Christian I've just met than I do to my old family members I've known my whole life? Why? And then I began to realize, because we're part of the same tree. So as we go down the road, we're going to explore why you don't lose in these relationships. Instead, it sets you free to have relationships with your spouse, your children, because it changes how you see them. It takes you out of it. When you begin to see the world as, as if you're in Christ, it takes you out of the situation. When you begin to face difficult situations, the reason we get afraid is it threatens us. But if I'm in Christ, what's there to threaten? It's got to threaten Him first. On this um, international flights, they now have these little TV screens and things like that. And of course, I'm poking around because I'm a I'm tech. I'm poking around. I discovered there's a screen which shows us where you are, which over the ocean. So, but you know. It tells you how many miles you've gone and how many miles you still have to go, how many hours you've still got to go. <laughs> and then there's these meteorological things. It's, it's 70 degrees below zero outside. Ooh, I'm glad I'm in. I'm glad I'm in. I'm glad I'm in. I'm glad I'm in the plane. Because... Outside the plane, the environment we are, I couldn't last for a moment because it's 70 below zero outside. But I'm warm and comfy under the blanket they give you and I'm warm and comfy because I'm in the plane. So now, no matter what you're facing, you've got to begin to see yourself in... See, the plane was designed to get us from Boston to London no matter what the temperature was like outside. It was designed to do it just like the train was designed to get us from London to York because that's what it was designed to keep us and protect us with an environment. In Christ is everything you need to be protected and kept safe. Now the reason I'm going through all this is because Satan's entire scheme is to get you to see yourself outside of Christ trying to handle everything outside of Christ. Trying to handle relationships one-on-one outside of Christ. Because see, when I handle them outside of Christ, it's what, it's what Nick did to me this morning. It wasn't anything. He didn't look at me. He didn't, he didn't smile at me when I went by. Actually, Nick always smiles at me. But, but it's like, so we take personally what's done to me. That's like sticking my head outside the window of the airplane. Why would I do that? Okay? So my protection is I'm in the airplane. So when somebody does something to me, my protection, I'm in Christ. So I'm going to handle this. In, what can they do to me? I'm in Christ. And I, Paul says that. If God be for you, how much for you can you be than to have adopted you into himself? How, if God be for you, who? Who? You can always see God saying, who can be against you? Who can be against you? So Jesus is using this example of the branch. Let's go to John 17.
So if I have an identity crisis, that means Jesus has to have an identity crisis. John 17, 20. This is what we, I, refer, I referred to before, but I'm going to read it now. Jesus is praying here. This is his high priestly prayer. He's about to be arrested and go through his suffering. And he starts by praying, which is a good thing to do, isn't it? He prays and he starts, first of all, to the Father about himself. Restore to me. I've done what you sent me here to do. Restore to me the glory that I had with you before. And then he starts praying for these disciples that he had give, God had given to him immediately. And he prays for them. And now in verse 20, he begins to pray for us. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. So he's praying for us. Verse 21. What's his prayer? That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us that the world may believe that you sent me. Verse 22. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. But notice in verse 21, our oneness isn't what we have in common with each other. Our oneness is our oneness in Him. That's what we have in common with each other. See how far we go. Verse 23. I in them, he's talking about us, and you in me, Father, that they may be made perfect, that means complete, in one, that means we're complete in Him, and that the world may know that you sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. All right. I'm going to just introduce the next part of it. Oh, okay. There's a very practical example aside from the tree to help us understand this. In Genesis, 20, Gen- Genesis 2, God says about this man, it's not good for him to be alone. That's another whole series. And God draws out of him this woman and gives him to her. That's another whole series. Right? At the end of chapter 2, you can see this wonderful union that they have. Because it says at the end that they were both naked and were not ashamed. But what that means is not just they didn't have clothes on. They were not aware of themselves at all. Why? They were so caught up in their oneness with God. They were one with Him. They were physically separate, but they were one with Him. One spirit with Him. That's important. That's how God made them. One with Him. Perfect unity. So they were as holy as He was because they came out of Him. They were born out of Him. The life that was in them, God breathed. Verse 7. He breathed in them out of it. Only thing He created, they were crea- other things were created by His words. This was, the, their body was created by His hands, and their spirit, their life was created by His breath. It was like art for art. When you bring somebody back to life. Yeah, that. Except instead of bringing them back to life, he was bringing them his life. God breathed into them his life, and they became a living being, a living soul, it says. Okay. If it just stayed there, it would be wonderful. But chapter 3 is where Satan, who has been cast down to this earth, comes to spoil God's creation. And we're going to look at how he did it. Now, this, we may not finish this today, but we'll start it. Everybody still with me? Yes. All right. Okay. 
In Genesis chapter 2, it finishes with God creating the man and the woman and says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to. That means they came one with, literally. One with his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. That's what marriage is. Marriage is the closest thing to the covenant God's made with us that exists on the earth. That's why it's so sacred to Him. And in a marriage covenant, two completely separate individuals with two completely separate different wills, two completely separate days of looking, different ways of looking at things, God joins together and now makes them one. And now they have to look at things, face things, respond to things from very different perspectives, but as one. That's what God designed. All right? But here's the problem. Most couples entering into this don't understand that or if they, don't underst- if they understand it, they have trouble living it out. Because what often happens, in not every case, but you can get men, and this now happens with women too, and they, they're married, they know they're married because they want, so they, what do they want out of the marriage? This is one of the things I ask when I do pre-marriage. What do you want out? What, why are you doing this? What do you want to do this? What do you want to get out of this? What's this for? You just want my stamp so that you can live together and sleep together? Is that what you want? Well, we're not doing that. This is much more sacred to God. All right? So, but what often happens is you get a man, and it can be women too, who get married, but they want to hold on to the old way of doing things. So they want to still have all their old friends, and you can still have, I'm saying you can't have friends, but they want to live their life as if they're still single, but have all the benefits at night of being married. I won't go into more details than that. And there's a term that's developed out there among teachers of marriage called, it's called being a married single. So you still see yourself as if you're single. I have my rights. I can, my friends, I want to do what I want to do, but I get the benefits of being married to you, so I get the physical benefits, you do my glonda, you do, you know, we do things for each other, but I still see myself as separate. But when you get married, you deny that old self. You deny yourself the right to live single anymore. What you're saying then when you say I do is I do means I will now enter into a physical relationship with you. Now every other woman on the face of this is now automatically excluded because I'm now one with you. So to be truly married, you're denying yourself, your old self. You deny yourself the right to see yourself, think about yourself as if you're independent from that spouse. You're now, you're already one with them, but you can act as if you're not one. You're already one with you. That's happened already. When you said, I do, God said, you did. (laughs) And you will do. (laughs) But when we don't understand that, we can begin to see ourselves separate. And I'm just going to begin this. Genesis 3, I want to show you. What I want you to see is, this is the tactic Satan always takes to destroy you. 
Always. It's the only one he's got. He dresses it up differently. He uses different, different terms. But it's like out there in, 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 uh, outside of Buckingham Palace. I didn't need to know who the pickwalker was. I, didn't, and I knew what they wanted and how they wanted to get it. And I walked around like this. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you what the pickpocket's after. Genesis chapter 1. He wants you to see yourself separate from Christ. Because the moment you do that, you're a branch separated from the trunk. Oh, Lord. I'll just be able to introduce this. Now, the serpent was more cunning. That ought to give you a clue right there. He's crafty. He's deceitful. Than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said to you, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? I assume you all know God told them they could eat of any tree of the garden, but the one tree they couldn't eat of was the tree of the knowledge of good and, uh, good and evil. And I, I want to explain to you why. We've done that before. So the first thing Satan does here, look at this scheming. The first thing Satan does here is he starts by getting them to question God's Word. As I was reading that, public, that, that publication by that Christian songwriter, of why he walked away from Christ. He started by questioning things he already knew. Questioning God's word, what God said about things. Now there are appropriate situations for questioning, but not about what God says. Now listen to what happens when you start questioning what God says. By questioning, he, he was tempting them to assert their own independent judgment about what God said. Notice God doesn't explain things. He doesn't tell you why. Now here's why you shouldn't eat of the tree. Here's why. He said, just like my mother said, because I said so. <laughs> I said, don't. Satan's getting them to question what God said because the very act of questioning it is separating themselves in their mind from God by saying, I have my own independent right to decide what, about whether God's right or not. Can you see that? That simple change in mindset began a process by which they began to separate themselves from God. They haven't sinned yet, but they've gone the first step down that road. This is the opening to see themselves separate from God. Verse 4. Then the serpent said to the woman, You shall surely not die. Now he's directly challenging. He's attempting them now to act as if they're independent. Because you will only act based on how you see yourself. When you renew your mind to see yourself, I am in Christ and everything I do, everyone I relate to, everything I see is only through his eyes, through him. And then you begin to see yourself react to some situation. The moment you see yourself separate, you start reacting separate from Christ. Now we have to get Him in as a resource, but if you're in Him, you don't need Him as a resource. You're one with Him. I don't feel the Lord's presence. So what? You're in Him. 
But see, we're in a different place. They were so conscious that they were one with Him. Satan is trying to subtly lure them into seeing themselves as separate. We're the other way around. We've grown up and been indoctrinated with we're individuals, our individuality, my rights, my rights. So even as Christians in Christ, we start out seeing ourselves separate from Him. So we have to begin a process of renewing our minds to begin to really know I'm not separate from Him. I'm in Him. So now as I go through my day, I don't respond to a situation as if I'm separate from Him. I start responding to that situation as in Him. And it's a process. But they don't start that way. They start so well aware that they are one with God. But now He's tempting them. Then, of course, she takes the fruit she eats. It gives it to her husband. Verse 7. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves coverings. They picked out their own clothes. No. (laughs) They made for themselves covering. They exercised their now independent judgment as to what they needed to cover up their nakedness. And they went and they provided it for themselves. They're now seeing themselves separate from God and because they're seeing themselves separate from God, they're now acting as if they're separate from God. And the next thing that happens is they become afraid and they hide from the presence of God. What we're going to do next week, I'm here now, yeah, what we're going to do next week is I'm going to show you how Jesus faced with the same temptation and Satan was using the same device against Jesus. And I'm going to show you why Jesus and how Jesus successfully resisted him so you and I will know how we are to resist him. Let's pray. Father, I'm shaking on the inside because I believe with all my heart that we are at a time right now when you are preparing us. You're calling us and preparing us for something. And in order to do that, you have to reestablish your foundation with us so that whatever it is that comes and whatever it is that goes, we will be standing on a firm and solid foundation. I believe with all my heart you want to draw this body together in a place of unity of the Spirit. A unity of the Spirit, of strength of the Spirit. Because in your own prayer you said, by that the world will know that you are real. And Father, we've tried all kinds of programs, we've tried all kinds of devices, all kinds of campaigns, and they've not truly had a lasting effect. But if the world can truly see us, the way you've said for us to be, you've already said that they will then know that you are real and they will come running to you. So, Father, we're walking in a way we've never walked before. We're on a journey we've never been on before. And and we don't know the way. 
but we know the one who is the way. When Philip asked Jesus, Lord, we don't know where we're going. How do we know the way? Lord, you looked at him and you said, I am the way. Lord, what we're hearing, what we're seeing is so far beyond the way our minds have been trained to think. But help us to see what we need to see. And help us to hear what we need to hear. For only your Spirit can do these things in us. And Holy Spirit, we ask you, we need you, we call upon you. We are helpless without you unless you do this work in us. But our confidence is your promises, for it's God who is at work in us, both the will and to do his good pleasure. And for that we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.